Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we have Elisa Covington. Elisa is a real estate investor and flipper based here in the Bay Area. In this episode, Elisa will tell us how COVID has changed her investing strategy and what new investors should be doing now to get started in the business. So if you're a new investor who wants to get started flipping in one of the most expensive markets in the world, then you have to listen to this episode. This episode is sponsored by Conventus Lending. Conventus is a hard money lending company based in San Francisco that can lend in over 30 states across the nation. So whether you're looking for a fix and flip loan or you're looking for a long-term loan for your rental projects, feel free to contact me for more information. And now, onto the show. All right, Lisa, thank you again so much for coming on our show. For those of our audience who members who don't know you, can you go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and tell us what you do? Sure. So my name is Elisa and I'm a house flipper, real estate investor in the San Francisco Bay Area. I've been flipping houses for um, almost four years now and I've done over two dozen flips and I really love what I do, especially the part where I get to design the layout of a new flip and also picking out finishing materials to make an ugly fixer upper, transform it into a dream home. So I'm excited to be on the show. Oh, excited to have you on again. Uh, Since we last spoke, I think that was right when COVID hit. I was wondering like what has changed since then? And you know, like, wasn't it really scary to invest more when we're in the middle of this pandemic? I think it was a little scary in the beginning when I think it was back in March 2020 when everything just started and the financial market just tanked. It was a little scary and I definitely missed out on a couple of good deals at the time because of the situation. But it's really surprising that the housing market didn't really get impacted as much as we thought it would. And instead, it's going very steady and it's been pretty hot in the Bay Area, at least. And uh, where are most of your projects? Are they based in like the South Bay or do you ever do East Bay stuff? Mainly in the South Bay, but I also do projects in the Peninsula and San Francisco. I haven't done anything in the East Bay. It's a little far for me. I kind of, I try to keep all my projects closed. So it's easier for me to check on them. And I know the market really well here. So who have your buyers typically been? Like, what is their kind of profile? I would say tech company employees. Most of them have very, very strong financials. Like some, some of the buyers have like hundreds of thousands or even like over a million dollars in the bank or stock market or like retirement accounts. So they are very financially, very strong. And they are usually young couples, like probably in their 30s or maybe early 40s and have young kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you noticed any, I guess, changes in what buyers are looking for, especially during COVID? I think people are definitely looking for more room and a good sized backyard. So I noticed that buyers really love my flips because they are kind of entry-level homes, but also they have at least three bedroom, two baths, or even four bedroom, two baths, and um, at least 6,000 square foot of lot. So a good size backyard. Is that like one of your buying criteria before you purchase something? You want to make sure that it is a big size? 
Not really, because good deals are hard to come by. So I don't want to limit myself to just a certain criteria. I think smaller homes have their buyers too. So, like for buyers who can't afford, like the maybe one point three, one point four million dollar homes, then they may have to consider smaller homes. I think cheaper homes are actually I I like cheaper homes because they always have a market. They always have strong demand. Mm-hmm. And why do you think the real estate market is still doing so well, even despite this, you know, coronavirus pandemic? I think a big reason is with the pandemic, it's shelter at home. Like people have to spend more time at home. So for people who were renting before, people who didn't have a like a lot of space. In their living situation now, they have to upgrade. They have to either buy a home or look for a bigger rental space. But, like I think, a lot of them actually are looking to invest in the property instead of renting. Even though the rentals are getting cheaper and housing market is getting more expensive, so it's kind of interesting. They they are looking for like a lot of millennials are looking to get home ownership. Mm-hmm. And also in the Bay Area, in the Silicon Valley specifically, the tech companies are not really impacted much by the pandemic. People are able to work from home, and they still have very secure jobs like for them. So they don't really like the buyers here are mostly tech company employees. They're not really、um, at, at least the homes that I've sold. They're not really restaurant owners. Or retail owners that are hit hard by the pandemic. So, with low interest rates, I think people are just they think, oh, the money they have can they actually have higher affordability with the low interest rate, and then they need more room to spend more time at home, and the job is still secure. So that's why it's not really impacted. It's actually going strong. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I've seen a lot of articles and heard people talk about how they don't want to be in California anymore, and especially with the whole work from home thing, they can move to like Texas and buy this three thousand square foot mansion for less than five hundred k. Does that worry you at all that some people are considering to move out of the Bay Area? And with all these articles saying that there's more people leaving SF and the South Bay, I think I definitely have seen a lot of that. But I don't think it's going to impact the housing market here in the short term. Maybe in the long run, ten, twenty years, maybe we'll see some actual impact. But people can work from home now. But like once most people get vaccinated and things start to go back to normal, like you still don't want to be too far away from your work, like. From based on my experience when I was in the corporate world, like if you are working remotely, you don't get the same kind of opportunity to socialize with your coworkers and do teamwork or like opportunities to get promoted to get to advance in your career. It's not the same. Absolutely, I did the same thing. My company is based in LA, but I was kind of transplanted to Sunnyvale. The position was really great, but like you said, because I wasn't having that face to face time with the boss every day. A lot of things kind of blew past me, and I think yeah, companies are allowing people to not come to the office every day, but they kind of still want them to show up maybe once or twice a week just to show face, maybe for big meetings. Yeah,、meeting. I think like working together with your coworkers, being able to really do teamwork, 
face to face, like have the FaceTime is is really important for most jobs at least. So like I see people going away right now, but I think when things go back to normal, a lot of them are going to have to move back.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it seems like right now things are going really well in terms of the market is crushing it. Interest rates are really low. People have a lot of money in stocks like Tesla and Bitcoin are going crazy right now.、Mm-hmm. Do you have any plans to kind of change what you're doing, or are you just going to keep doing you know flips? And I mean, in terms of like your、uh, like cautiousness, are you alert? Or are you just kind of saying this is a good market? Let's keep doing it while everything's good. I'm definitely alert. I think when the pandemic started, it really it was kind of a wake up call for me because I was not in the best cash position going into the pandemic. So a lot of my money was tied up in real estate. So I definitely felt a little scared when this all happened because I was not prepared for that. So now, after many months of adjusting to this situation, I'm at a much better position, like with my funds not tied up in real estate. And so I think I'm just going steady. Like kind of every time I purchase a new project, I want to make sure that it's going to, it's not a risky project. So. I'm purchasing at very low prices, and I know this type of properties are going to have a market, whether the market is going well or not. So, would you say that in the past you're maybe doing like multiple projects at the same time, and that's why your your cash was kind of spread, and now you're going to focus on maybe like one deal at a time? Ah,、uh, I'm still doing multiple projects at a time. I think when you are flipping houses, it's very hard to do only one project at a time. Like maybe when you are starting out, but as you grow and scale, one project at a time is just that means if you have a project, then if you get a good deal, then you're not going to take it. I don't think that's a good strategy because then you are going to miss out on good deals, which are very hard to come by, and it's not going to be good for your relationship or like your deal source、mm-hmm. if people think. Like you are not taking deals when you are busy, then they are probably not going to bring you deals later on. Makes sense. So that's not what I'm doing. I still do multiple projects, and I'm still looking for more deals all the time. But I think one is very careful, conservative with the deal analysis. So every time I purchase a deal, I make sure it's solid deal, and like worst case scenario, I break even. But I'm not going to lose money. Can you give us、and、like an example of what a good deal looks like? At least I buy mostly entry level homes, so homes that I purchase around one million dollars in the Bay Area, and the median sale price in the South Bay is about I think now is like one point three to one point four million. So that means if I purchase something at one million, then after rehab I can sell it at. Between one point three one point four million, so that's a good margin, and still it's an entry level home. It's not anything that's too expensive for most buyers. So there's always demand for that type of homes. And how much would you consider for your rehab costs? Usually, I think like it's around a hundred to a hundred fifty, like、okay. somewhere between there. So you buy for a million, you put in a hundred to one hundred fifty into it. 
you know, you have holding costs like hard money, loan costs and taxes and utilities and whatnot. Then when you sell it, you also have closing costs where you have to pay your realtors and mm-hmm. all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. So even then you still have a good margin for profit. Mm-hmm. And what are you looking for in terms of your profit for each deal? I think to go back to our example, like if I purchase at 1 million and then put in a hundred to 150,000 and then sell for 1.4, then it's about like somewhere between a hundred to 150. Okay. Awesome. A in profit. Mm-hmm. And like, who are these sellers? Like, why would they sell it to you for such a low price? They have all different situations. Like a lot of them are inherit the property and they don't want to have anything to do with the house. They just want to get money quick. And there are elderly sellers. They just don't have the energy or the money to remodel the home and they need a rent back so they could get the sale proceeds from the sale and still live in the house while look for their next home. And there are, I've had situations where the owner hired a bad contractor and then the contractor left um, like halfway through the project. So they don't have more money to put in the house and the house is like half done. So they can't really put it on the market for sale. So they're very like, they all have different situations that they really need help with. They Mm -hmm. cannot sell the house on the market and they need someone who can help them, who can purchase the home as is, take over any trash they leave behind and then close on the deal very quickly so they can get the money quick. I know in the past, I think you're really famous for being the only person that I know who hasn't paid for any leads. Is that still the case? I actually partnered with Brenda on two deals recently and we're kind of like with joint venture on those deals. So she brings me the deals and then I do the rest of it. So that's probably. (laughs) And that doesn't really count because you're not really paying for direct mail. I mean, I think Brenda is also doing her own stuff where she's just spamming out to her network and email list. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, So you're not doing any calls really? and No, no direct mail, no call center yet. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. How is that possible? You know, like I don't really get it. A lot of people do it. Like that's their mantra. Like I call every morning and I talk to people all the time, but for you, it seems like you just get deals. How is that possible? I think it's the, you build a network of agents in the beginning and that's the first step. So you have a good foundation of relationship with the agents. And then every time someone brings me a deal, I treat it seriously. So I get back to them quickly. I tell them exactly why I'm not taking the deal and like solid reasons. So they know that if they bring me something, I'm always responsive and I'm a reasonable investor. And then the third one is every time someone, like I work with someone, an agent on a deal, I make sure that I always keep my word and I do what I say, say what I mean. So like, have good integrity. And I think it's very important to the agents because sadly, a lot of the investors they've worked with before are not really working with them the same way. So they really appreciate that I do that. And I always, if I have a good sale, like if the deal goes really well, I always give them more bonus 
and that incentivized them to continue working with me. I like that. You know, I think a lot of new investors, they kind of do the same method, but they end up just like wholesaling the deals or they shop it around. And then that kind of pisses off those agents, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or I think like another challenge is when they first talk to an agent and they don't have any experience, like what did you have to do to kind of build that credibility so that they would even send you deals in the first place? In the beginning, I had some real estate background. So I remodeled my own home. I was doing like house hacking and rentals before I started in house flipping. So I was using those like kind of my other projects as case studies to show them the remodel work I've done and like before and after photos. So that builds credibility with the agents. Like I think in an email, you were like, hey, check out some of my projects. Here's what I did before and after. I think I built a website in the beginning. So I have the before and after photos on the website. And when you have a website, even though anybody can build a website, but <laughs> to agents, it just feels like, oh, you are legit. You have online presence. So that's one thing that helped. And you can also meet with agents in person. Like it's hard to do that now, but you can show them some pictures from your previous projects. Mm -hmm. And what about now? Like, I'm pretty sure you're not out there cold calling these agents anymore. What are you doing now to generate more deal flow? I really haven't done anything. <laughs> Just comes, uh, huh? Just comes like for free? Yeah. Like, because I've worked with probably over a dozen, two dozen agents. So those are the top agents in the business. So whenever they come across deals, they just reach out to me. So yeah. I don't really have to, like, if I feel like my deal flow starts to slow down, I could reach out to them, like do an email campaign or something, but I haven't really been doing that. Okay. It's good. Keeping busy with what you have. Mm -hmm. So are you still using the same contracting team to do all your projects? Yes. I am. Okay. Uh, have you ever considered expanding or, you know, like, like what kind of what Boozy was saying at one point, you don't want to rely on just one thing in case something happens. Have you ever considered like what you would have to do if you need to get another team? I thought about it and I've had contractors reaching out to me. They want to work for me. I think I may try it at some point, but I haven't done it right now. I yeah. haven't done it yet. So if there's a new investor who wants to get started, and they don't have the connections, how would you recommend them to find that team to start, you know, taking a look at their stuff? What kind of connection, like with agents or with? Let's say like, a con like they don't have a contracting team, right? They, they don't know ask how to get them. Referrals, like ask any friends or family who have done remodels before, if they have anyone to recommend, ask any agents they may know if the agents have any contractors that they worked with. Usually agents have contractors that they always work with or subcontractors because they, a lot of times before they put a home on the market, they need to do at least some work like painting or flooring. So they're a good source. Makes sense. And uh, I'm sure, you know, since your YouTube channel is so big now, same with your Instagram, I'm sure you get questions from newbies all the time. Yeah. What do you like? What are the most common questions that they're asking you? I think how to get started. Like to new investors, it's like a big world of unknowns. So they feel like there's so much they don't know. So they don't know how to 
like what their first step should be. Mm -hmm. And what is your common response? Like you probably know already. So networking, going to meetings, going to like even with the pandemic going on, there are still a lot of events that are virtual. Like there are Zoom meetings all the time. Sign up for local real estate clubs and events. Go on Clubhouse. There are good events on there too. And you can also start to try to analyze deals, like learn about how you can analyze a deal. I think that's a very like key skill for any real estate investor, because if you don't know how to analyze a deal, you can't get the numbers right, then you can not do any deals. You know, I've had some challenges on that part because you look at the comps, right? And it's, I rarely find perfect comps, right? They're always kind of like, oh, this one's a little bit out of the area. This one's a little bit different, but mm-hmm. you kind of guesstimate it's going to be between this 1.3 to 1.4 range. Mm-hmm. How like certain are you with your comps when you do it? And is there anything that you do specifically to make it more like precise? You just have to narrow down your comps. Like if you see 10 of them, Maybe you only use the top three. So the the comps that are closest to the subject property and the comps that are the most recent and the comps that are the most similar to your house. So you don't want to look at whatever is the highest. You want to look at the lowest even, like the lower numbers. And if the comp is on the same street, that's probably a really good one. Mm -hmm. And just be very conservative. If there's a choice between a higher comp and a lower comp, always choose a lower one. Yeah. If you are conservative enough, when you try to sell your flips, you usually get pleasantly surprised. But if the other way around, then you would get really disappointed and may lose money. That's right. Now, I know you use hard money loans for your projects, but for someone who already has a lot of capital, why should they use hard money loans versus just paying everything in cash or maybe even getting like a conventional loan? If you have a lot of cash, sure, you can like, depending on how much cash you have. Even until today, I wouldn't want to go into a deal with all my cash. I think that's part of the reason why I was cash poor for a long time last year. That was a mistake that I made because I put a lot of money into the deals I had because I was at a very strong cash position going into the year last year. So I was like, oh, if I'm going to sell these projects in just like two, three months, as I usually do, then why don't I put more money down so that I can get a lower hard money interest rate and then like save on holding costs. But then something unexpected happened, the pandemic, and then my projects were taking way longer than I anticipated. So it didn't work out. I think a good lesson I learned is you always want to have a lot of cash in hand. Cash is king. So whatever happens, if you have cash in hand, then you can react. You can take advantage of any market downturns, to purchase more properties at lower prices, or you just, if your projects are taking longer, you have enough money to pay holding costs, any unexpected costs. So you really want to have a good 
reserve. Yeah. Even if you have a lot of money in the bank, you still don't want to pay. At least I wouldn't want to put all the money into a deal. Like especially deals here are so expensive. You have to put down at least like maybe one million, one point one, one point two million. Like if you pay the purchase price all cash and then pay the rehab cost too, that's a lot of money to be tied up in one deal. And then if this deal doesn't go as expected, you end up holding it for half a year, a year long. Then are you doing other deals? <laughs> it will really limit the opportunities and limit your growth. Yeah, it will definitely screw with your momentum. You know,、mm -hmm. as since I've been working in this industry for a year now, I've seen it. You know, I've seen people who are super over leveraged, and they just don't have the cash to do anything. Like they're stuck; they can't even do a refinance, and、mm -hmm. it's really sad. So, I mean, leverage is a really good tool, I think, if you can use it properly. But if you use、mm -hmm. it improperly, you can get super screwed. Right? Yeah. Don't go too big too quick. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any plans to change what you're doing for 2021? Like, are you going to kind of move out of the flipping space and maybe go into some of the buy and hold stuff, or maybe buy some apartments? What are your thoughts on I'm that? I'm already in the buy and hold phase. I have a couple rentals, but the challenge for me is I don't really want to invest out of state because I like investing in my backyard. I I know the market well. I also Really like that in California, the Bay Area. There's a lot of appreciation that you can take advantage of. I think if you can buy a property at very low price, over time the prices are definitely going up, and you are getting cash flow, and at the same time you are getting appreciation. So, like, I really like that. And I like control over my investment, so I only invest in the Bay Area. But the challenge is in the Bay Area; it's very hard to find properties that really cash flow. So if I find them, definitely I will buy more. But if I don't find good ones, I'm not going to buy something that doesn't have good cash flow and or the price is too high. It's so interesting because I think most people have the exact opposite mentality of what you have. Like they want to sell their San Jose property to then buy an apartment complex in Cincinnati or something like that. I understand. Yeah, everyone has their own different style and different risk tolerance, different mentality. It's I respect their style too. Like I、yeah. think that's very brave to invest out of state, and especially if they don't have any boots on the ground. And I can see them succeed too. It's probably a good way to do it. It's just that's not within my comfort level. You know, I think there's always just two different things you're looking for for real estate, right? One is the cash flow perspective, and the other one is the appreciation perspective.、Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of the maybe newer or younger people, they don't have a lot of incoming cash flow, you know, from their day job or from whatever other sources. So that's why, you know, buying out of state makes sense because you're just buying these small properties and getting that cash flow. And、in your case, you already have that awesome cash flow by your flips. Like、right? you are actually doing a lot of business from your flip projects, so therefore you can buy onto these properties that grow faster.、And、ultimately, when you buy real estate, the cash flow perspective is should be just the way to hold onto the property while it appreciates and grows over time, because that's where the true wealth is actually going to be built.、Mm -hmm. And by investing in California, you can take advantage of Prop 13, where your property taxes stay super low. 
Whereas, you know, I invest in like Florida or Texas, our properties get reassessed almost every year. So our property taxes increase like crazy. Mm. Yeah. And that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's actually the beauty of real estate. There are so many different strategies and you can take advantage of any strategy that fits your financial situation, fits your personality, your risk tolerance, and you can succeed and make a lot of money and be financially free. So it's mm. really amazing. So let's go into your YouTube. You've been doing YouTube for almost a year now, and I've seen your, your success just skyrocket from when you first started. What have you seen to be kind of like the most interesting videos that your viewers and audience love to see on your channel? My best performing video so far is actually the video, the before and after video I did on my own home. So it got picked up by YouTube. Like, so YouTube was recommending it, people's homepages. And then I, I got a lot of views and a lot of subscribers from that video. It's pretty cool. I think the, it's a really cool platform. I, I really enjoy being a YouTuber so far for almost less than a year. And I think it's incredible that like for just anybody, you can start making content and engage with your subscribers and really have so many people who you can never come across with. Like I have subscribers who are from New Zealand or from Africa, from like different parts of Asia. Like they follow me, Israel, and they were like, oh, this really doesn't, the strategy doesn't apply to where I live, but I enjoy watching your videos. It's really very encouraging, very fulfilling experience for me. It's very interesting. Mm -hmm. And like, why did you decide to go on YouTube in the first place? I think it has to do with my kind of end goal. So I'm a real estate investor by profession, but I don't see like, this is not my end goal. I don't want to just be a real estate investor. I don't want to just make money for myself, for my family. I want to make an impact and increase my influence and reach more people and help more people as I grow myself. Nice. So are so you going to be speaking YouTube on big stages? Sorry. Are you going to be speaking on big stages in the near future? Uh, what do you mean big stages? I mean, yeah, you're already speaking on big stages. You're already <laughs> speaking on conferences and whatnot. So if opportunities come, sure. Yeah. I'd like to really like from my past public speaking engagements, I really enjoy just sharing my knowledge and helping people who are especially women because women is so underrepresented in this field. It's so male dominated and a lot of women feel so scared and so kind of at a disadvantage in this field. After my speaking engagements, they come to me, they say they are so happy to see me succeed in the business because they didn't know it was possible. I really hope to help more women to get started in this business too. Yeah, that's amazing. So what are your overall plans for 2021? Do you have any big goals for this year? I'm not really a, like a big goal setter. <laughs> I kind of, I want to just grow steadily. So get good at what I'm doing now and 
just maybe grow a little bit at a time. I'm not saying, oh, I'm going to instead of flipping seven to eight homes a year, I'm going to do twenty flips this year, or like I'm going to start doing something completely different. But I think over time, I do want to start doing more bigger and complicated projects, and maybe start like for my next home, I want to build it from scratch. Do you mean your next projection? Uh, your next personal home or your next like yeah, project? Personal, okay. personal home. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I think new constructions are really cool, but I don't know how. I'm still trying to learn it, learn about it, but I don't know how profitable it is compared to what I'm doing now. I feel like if I'm getting the same kind of return, like new construction is definitely way more risky than. Just simple cosmetic flips, and on the cosmetic flips, I'm getting really good returns. So we'll have to see about that. But for my personal home, I do want to design it and build it from scratch. Yeah, I mean, from what I've heard, new construction works really well if you already have your systems in place. You know, like sure. some of the top、yeah. investors that we know, like it, normally it costs between like three fifty, maybe four hundred dollars per square foot to build a brand new construction. If you're、mm-hmm. like just a random person off the street. The good investors can do it for like one seventy five per square foot, so that spread is huge, right? For a two thousand、mm-hmm. square foot home,、mm-hmm. and if yeah, it also I think it depends on the like where of the market cycle you are in. Right, right.、Like、at this market cycle, for experienced investors, that's probably fine. But for someone new to get into the business, I I don't know if it's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, we can't even like as a hard money lender, like we aren't doing new construction loans、really? because it's a little bit more risky, right? We want to stay with the more cosmetic fix and flip types.、Mm-hmm. But yeah, definitely, that'd be very exciting when you have your own home and you're like, you know what? I don't care. Cash, five million dollars, <laughs> brand new home, Atherton. Let's go. For your own home, it's just there's more room to make mistakes because、yeah. you can hold on to it for longer and you can spend more time. Working on it, and you don't really care about whether you are making a good profit or not. Right, and it's probably financed with, you know, more、uh, better terms. It's not like hard money and holding for、mm-hmm. two years while your plans get developed. Right. Awesome. Well, Lisa, thank you again so much for your time again. Do you have any last tips for any new investors who, you know, again in this COVID environment, can't really talk to agents? What should they be doing? I think the most important is to get started. Because so many people try to learn about everything, try to get prepared as much as they can, but if they don't make the first step, if they don't start to go to meetings, if they don't start to surround themselves with other people in the business, and they don't start to look at properties like on Redfin or Zillow, start to like learn to analyze deals, it's all a waste. Right, like it's not going to just magically happen. You have to just make a plan and start today.、Mm-hmm. Awesome! And for anyone that needs to join a meetup group locally, we have one:、uh, meetup.com/slash/everythingrei, where we meet virtually a couple times a month. Yeah, and you have podcast and YouTube channel. Those are all great sources of education. Yeah, new、awesome. investors. So, Elisa, how can people find you? They can find me on my YouTube channel. 
it's called transform real estate and i have an instagram also transform real estate my website is the same transform real estate.com awesome well lisa thank you again so much for your time appreciate it and looking forward to seeing what happens next awesome thank you so much sean for having me i hope you enjoyed this episode if you did please consider subscribing to the show and leaving a review to get updated when the latest episode comes out a brief summary of this podcast can be found in the show notes at everythingrei.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you in the next one. Take care. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second, and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks, and have a great day.